What's happening, Twin Cities? The Coach and the Culture podcast back live and in effect. I am Coach Frank Centwale, or Coach Frank as I'm known in the basketball community. We got the super producer in the building, Lloyd Leon Coop. What's happening? Coop, get a people a shout out. What's up, man? How you doing? Man, you got What's the up? coolest shout outs ever, man. I come in, I be like, what's happening, people? How y'all doing? <laughs> <laughs> we wondering if you awake over there. You awake today, man? I'm awake today. All right, hey, you look like you awake. You must have got paid today. <laughs> Every time you get paid and we do an episode, you got an extra Kool Aid cheese going on. Like money, 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 money up in the spot. Marcus here. And uh, the Timberwolves have started preseason basketball, so the, the the wait is over. Thank goodness FIBA kept us entertained through the summer. The Lynx kept us entertained through the summer. The Twins are in the playoffs, so they kept us entertained through the summer because, you know, outside of the Lynx, everything else is just ancillary. It's just keeping us occupied until we can get to the meat and potatoes of the basketball season with the Timberwolves. I, ne- I never, I always put the Lynx right up there. Wolves are one and Lynx are 1A, and I know we don't talk about them a lot about talking uh, Talk about him a lot on this show, but as a as a father of many many daughters and just got good friends that played basketball that just happened to be double X chromosomes, uh, I am a big fan of, of the Lynx. And speaking of big fan of the Lynx and women's basketball, we have a special guest, special to me, near and dear to my heart, a long time good friend that's going to be joining us, Miss Onika. Craven, Onika, what's up? Oh, what up? What up? What up, people? <laughs> man, I'm so glad we finally got you here. I, I apologize, man. You know when you when you're uh, I call myself the the mini mirror. You got you got stuff you got to do, man. Right? So I'm I'm in different pockets. So yeah, I know it was hard trying to get us this to get together, but. What think about you, bro? You are very persistent. Let me tell you that, right? Like, you, look, we're going to do something. I was just saying earlier, I was like, I had just flown in on a red eye. I got home around 6 a.m., sleeping for a couple hours, and I get a ding on my phone, and it's Frank like, hey, I hear you in town. You want to do it tonight? <laughs> I'm like, no, bro. I just got up a red eye, and I leave again tomorrow. You no, know, man. So it took another three weeks, but I'm here. <laughs> look here, when, when you have friends in high places that are shaking and moving all the time, sometimes you just got to get in where you fit in. You just got to keep checking back. Today? Today? <laughs> Today? Can I get a little bit today? Can I get you for 15, 20 minutes? That's all All I'm asking. I got you. I got you. What I got to do, you know what I'm saying? I I, I happy to bet you. I I appreciate you, man. I was telling a coworker, I was like, this brother has been on the grind, and I'm going to do my homework as best I can to make sure I don't disappoint him. Like, man, what you wait three weeks for this chick for? (laughs) No, 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 not at all. I I already know what it is. We go way back. Good thing this is just a Timberwolves podcast and not a lifestyle podcast because otherwise we get to tell them stories about Clyde Turner Camp circa 1990. Sticks up. Crazy stories of when we was trying to, you know, help the little, help the young Khalid and Rob Mestices of the world out, right? That's That's how long ago we were doing that work, right? The bells of the world, right? And we were, can you believe we were like, Coaches, camp coaches, like yeah. coaching those young legends. Right, right, right. Mike Carpenter was in camp with us. You know what I'm saying? Jason Daisies. Oh my goodness. We we had we had a we had them all, man. And that's what I tell people. When we did Clyde Turner camps, you know, you know, he rest God rest his soul right now. There's not a, a player in Minneapolis or St. Paul that didn't go through Clyde Turner camp. And even if you didn't make it to the league, you became something because that's what he instilled in all of us. Um 
being able to go to that camp. I mean, I know my friends went to the U and they're paying $200 and we got the same skills, even better than what they were getting over there. Right. Because uh, the coaches that they have were people like you and I coming back, you know, they had the the Gophers coming to be our coaches during the summer when we were kids. Right. So um, to be able to be a part of that until this final days, man, it's a, it's a blessing. I don't know if we'll ever have anybody like that again. Yeah, I, I think it's very underrated what he did uh, for um, for black youth in the Twin Cities, for basketball in the Twin Cities. Um, you talk about somebody paying it forward. He paid it forward a thousand times over, man. It was it was so much fun working with him and working for him and being a camper at his camp. That was the first time I was on TV. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, they 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 came and did a story on the camp, and we had a little layup line, and I did my little version of a dunk and made it on TV. And it's funny because when I saw it on TV, I was really reaching too. Well, I was like reaching for the dunk, you know. I was like freshman in high school. I was, I was like, oh, but I did. Yeah. So yeah. Um. So for those of you who don't know who Onika Craven is. Um, you probably have seen her and didn't even realize it, whether doing community work or whether uh, courtside at a Lynx game causing all kinds of ruckus for the opposing team. I thought she was going to suit up one game and just <laughs> there with them. <laughs> no, man, it was, you know, because you got to think about when when we had that run with mm-hmm. the from 11 to 17. Man, the Target Center was popping, and if you weren't in there, you know, I would bring guys into them. Like, I ain't never been to no girls' game, and they come out, and man, them women, you know what I mean? Like, their mindset had to change, right? Right. Um, and so I had courtside, you know, fortunately, I had a friend of mine who was a business partner. He's like, I'm going to get courtside seats to the links in, like, 2009, so that was right before everything popped off. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, by 2013, I was part of the media, so I was sick courtside right. and cheer. And then I go into media and be like, so, um, Simone Augustus, tell us what you thought about the game, right? Like, I was, and Cheryl was like, hey, as long as you're professional and you're paying, because that's what it's more about, about the paying customer and not so much the media person, right. you, do, you have to do. And because of the way that they saw me on the court, it being energetic and just giving all that love to them, when right. I got to the locker room, it was like, hey, I want to talk to you. I would do Facebook Lives right there after a game, you know? Yeah. Um, it was, uh, that, that's experience that I'll never have, you know, again, but I'll, I'll, won't take anything back from it. Well, you just mentioned one of my favorite basketball players, male, female of all time, man. Moan, Moan was, woo, that was, uh, we just talked about it on the last episode, that first title run, you know, the, the casuals, of course, Maya, Maya celebrity just goes beyond, right? Basketball, it's, it goes beyond anything, um, and, and the casuals always remember Maya and of course, Lindsay, because she's hometown talent. And, uh, but that first title run down the stretch of every game, they went one, four flat to Simone. And I talked about it on the last podcast, how what I love about Cheryl Reeves is when she's got the weapons, she keep she can keep things so simple. And every trip down court, they just went one four flat to moan. And it was like, there's not a woman in the WNBA that can guard her. So everybody go stand on the base. That's right. That's right. The shot clock down to about eight seconds. Everybody go stand there and watch moan break somebody's ankles with that crossover and that sweet pull up. And they rolled that all the way to the title that first year. And to me, that was still one of the most beautiful. That was the, that was the most beautiful one for me was that first one just because of how they did it, you know. Um, that was Maya's rookie year, correct? 
Yep, Maya's rookie year. It and and but you could just tell like Simone was just a different animal. You know, her knees were still healthy and good and hadn't started bothering her yet. She was still fairly young and that was just that was that was a as as a as a guard, that was a thing of beauty to watch to watch how how ferocious that crossover was and then she just stopped on a dime and the way she elevated like to me she's one of the few um women's players that when I watched her play I was like she she moves her body like male players mm-hmm. Right, like right. the way she would elevate on her jumper and get so high. And a lot of women, you know, early, you know, even, 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 um, Cheryl Miller, her shot was still to me like, and even Cheryl swoops and, and, um, and, um, um, Cynthia Cooper, like none of them had that. There was just a certain, a certain way that Simone would rise up. That was just like, you could see her going to the club and just, dogging men out (laughs) just just like rising over dudes like she didn't need that horizontal space that so often needed in this game um you know and and to me she was the first one that used that vertical space in a different way and uh yeah so that was that was a beautiful thing we're gonna we're gonna get into all of that because you know you know i gotta talk links with you but i want to give the listeners a little background on who you are um minneapolis native right I didn't realize you played four years of varsity basketball in high school. So you, you, you never saw the, the rookie league. You went straight to the, to the varsity race out the gate, huh? Yeah. They, I mean, I played, uh, like a quarter in JB, but I played mostly in varsity, um, for Henry. And then the, the, I was there, Henry at two, for two years. And then I went to Washburn and, and finished my career there. You went all the way on the other side of town. You couldn't yeah. get. You had to. Get, I handled choice, uh, man. We went. We was moving up. We went from apartments to a house. You know how you gonna be? You know what I mean? So I was like, okay, what? I got my own bedroom. What? Oh, right. Was, you know, and it's funny because kids don't understand because I grew up over north. Like that's all I knew. And when my mom and her boyfriend, my stepfather, eventually um, said we were moving to a house over north, I was over south. I was disappointed because I didn't know anybody over South. It felt to me like I was moving out of town, even though it was just on the other side of town, but right. I didn't know anybody. So, uh, but it was a better life for me and my, in my family, you know, to be able to own a home. Um, Washburn wasn't a bad school. Um, we went from, you know, lower class to middle class, to middle class to upper middle class, you know, if you're looking at, you know, financially, and it just took a while for me to understand that. But as a kid, I'm like, I want to go to the club on, on Lake Street. I mean, I don't want to go to that one. I want to go over north. You know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> on Broadway. But, you know, just the, the, the idea that you can, you know, and I know we'll probably talk more about it, but be, being from this area, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is my hometown. I leave, I lived in California for four years and I came back, right? Cause there's so much you can do here. It was too hot out there. You want to, you want No, financially, man. <laughs> You, you, hey, I had a studio apartment, man, with a Murphy bed. And if it was in today's prices, it'd be about $1,700. That's real talk. Yeah. California is, that's a, that's a, that's a different level of economic living. Just, just to make it just, just to like have a little bit of space. Like mm-hmm. California, New York's the same way, you right, know. Right. Yeah. Being in the Midwest and off of the coast does have its benefits. And plus the winter keeps the crime a little bit. Right. A little bit, yeah. I was out there trying to be an actress, so every now and then I'd get a job, but it wasn't enough to sustain me. My mom's like, "Come on home, baby. Come on home." Yeah. I, you know, and I know your mom. <laughs> at those were her exact words. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so you, so you graduated Washburn, and then you went up to Rainy River. So, you know, apparently the north side, then the south side, just wasn't. You, you just had to go as far away from human population as you. Could, you know? What? I know people are like, where is International Falls, Rainy River? I'm like, you know where Canada is? Yep. Well, that's Rainy River. Right. Right. <laughs> you can't get. I mean, so they. You know, that was where I went. I mean, it was, uh, I tried to go to Augsburg and they didn't want me to play over there. And so the coach from Rainy was like, why don't you come up here after, you know, I'm really, because of academics, I wasn't able to play down here, you know. Um, so he was like, I'll give you a chance. You don't have to worry about ACTs and SATs. Come up here and then you can transfer after that. So, um, you know, sometimes I was telling some kids that I did a speech to, Sometimes the road that you take is not the one that you always want, but it's the one that you need. Yeah. Yeah. That's real. And, you know, we didn't have the um, I'll just call them luxuries because that's what they are. The luxuries that uh, student athletes have today in a lot of ways, like we didn't really have like my dad was, you know, obviously my dad played for the University of Minnesota and he was the academic advisor for Lou Holtz and the football team. So academics was just going to be what it was in my house. It was my dad, literally the first person to be like, boy, you don't look, you don't ball. Right. <laughs> and so, and that wasn't like eligibility rules. That was Leroy Gardner eligibility <laughs> rules. Right. right really. what my grade said, it was, right. it was his eligibility rules. But, um, but we also, what we also didn't have, so we didn't have, you know, so many people um, really telling us, that you can go to school for free if you do A, B, and C in the classroom and on the coordinate. Obviously, we didn't have the AAU circuit. Mm-hmm. You know, really, there was no, you know, there was no AAU circuit, and there definitely wasn't one that I can recall for for, for ladies basketball. At no, no, no. no. Uh, and so the opportunity to get exposure just wasn't there. Like I think about how I knew you as a basketball player and how hard you played, how tough-minded defensively you were. Um, how well you knew how to execute and operate in systems. And I'm like, man, if they had AU, you know, if, 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 if 16 year old Onika could be playing now the way that I knew how you played, you probably would have had a whole lot of different opportunities that, that just weren't available to us because coaches couldn't go to one tournament and see 500 players and be surprised by go to look at one player and then all of a sudden see this young lady locking up the player that they went to go see because I know how hard you play so you they would have loved you and they you because they'd have been like who out here playing defense no matter what right I I I think for me though it was when I was younger I was more and as I got older it was on the defensive end and rebounding right um when I was younger, when I first started playing, I was an offensive person and I would play basketball all the time. But you have to think in the early 90s, late 80s, there was no WNBA. Right. So, right. You know what I mean? So for for if you go to a camp, be like, who wants to go to an NBA? Every boy in there would raise their hand. Right. right. And for the girls, it's like, well, I can play four years of college and then that's it. So I didn't. I, I think if, like you said, if I had the opportunity to play in front of other people, but also had that drive that some of these kids do now. Yeah. To know that even though you might have to go overseas in the summer, to be able to play at home and to play in the WNBA, which I love that we're, you know, expanding it to, you know, to 13 teams. Now, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, Portland and to um, Golden, Golden State area. Golden right. State, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, but I didn't have that, you know, like we you you, t- you talked about um, Cynthia Miller. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So you talk Cheryl, to her. Uh, Cheryl Miller. Cheryl Miller. Cheryl Miller. Yeah. And or Cynthia Cooper. They, they played on the same team right. at UNC, right? Right. So you got to see that. But then who else did we have an opportunity to see? Now you have all these games and stuff. And I know you want to talk about this later, but now you have 
where the games are on TV all the time. You know, yeah. there was more people that watched the Final Four last year for the women than there had been ever. Right? right. So you have these players that kids are like, well, I grew up watching Lindsey Whalen play. OK, now you have all these different, you know, you have Reese and then you have Clark and then you just was like, right. what? Who are these players? But we didn't have a lot of that. Right. So right. Um, the exposure that these young ladies are having now is a lot better than what we had back in the day. And that's a good thing. Oh, big time. And and, and yeah, we can kind of re- retread back to this. But um, since you brought up the final four last year. Um, I was telling people that just from a coach's standpoint, that was the best women's final four ever because it was the first time I felt like you had really the whole tournament. You know how they say styles make fights. Well, for so long, I felt like in the women's game, it was everybody was playing the same style. It's just a matter of who had the most talent. Right. Mm-hmm. And watching last year's tournament, um, there were so many different styles of basketball being played. And to me, that was like that was such a beautiful thing to see because there were upsets like you usually you never saw, you know, you didn't see that many upsets in the women's tournament because, again, it was just like who has the most talent. But now there's so many young ladies playing basketball um, at the high school ranks that the talent pool is getting so much larger that you're starting to see even mid-major teams are now making the Sweet 16, which you never would see that, you know, in the 90s. And, and, and you know, from Kate and C- Caitlin Clark in Iowa style, which was kind of, you know, you had you had a post player that could get cause you some problems. And then you had this dynamic guard that like everybody was trying to stop to a team like, you know, South Carolina that just literally physically would just beat you up, you know, to a team like LSU, who obviously won it all with balance. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was so many different styles and you just didn't know how styles were going to match up, which is what you see in the men's uh, game um, and have for years. And so I just I love where the women's game is going. I, I really do and I love the way that young girls are being influenced now you can have your favorite player that is a completely different style than somebody else's favorite player and not seeing you know ladies that you know like Brianna Stewart that's like six five that can play you know four positions on the floor put the ball on the floor or and we're going to talk about the WNBA finals because Ooh, we, we're going to get into all of that oh we're going to be here for a little while so, and, and for the listeners once again, you're tuned into the Coach in the Culture podcast, and um, we have been very Wolves-centric, but I have been waiting for a long time to get my dear friend Onika Craven onto the podcast so that we could talk ladies' hoops, talk um, just women in sports in general, women in sports media, definitely talk some links. Um, uh, talk about, I want to talk to you about Cheryl Reeves because I know you've gotten a chance to probably know her a little bit and, and just you being around the program. And we really try to come from a heavy coach's mindset on this podcast because fans are going to be fans. Media comes from a media perspective, but I feel like very few people that are talking basketball here in the Twin Cities can actually say that they played at a collegiate level, that they coach at any level. Um, and so we try to really dig into the minds of the coaches. So at some point in time, I'm going to ask you, like, what do you think about how Cheryl Reeves thinks coaching and, and builds her teams out? But um, I want to give the people some more background on you. So you went from Rainy River to University of Minnesota Morris uh, and played two years there. Um, and, I, and I remember watching you play there because we would have our Morris and Southwest State. And the girls would always play before the boys or vice versa. And so I would get a chance to uh, watch you play. And then you got a chance to watch me stumble around the court a little bit. 
the misreading of playing for Andy Odom. <laughs> so, but, uh, and looking at, because Perry Ford was the boys coach at Morris at the time. And I'm just like, man, their coach is bomb. <laughs> you know, like, I want, I should have went to Morris because Perry was really good. Um, and then when you, when you finish your college basketball career, what's the first thing you went into after you finished school? Did you go right into photography and sports media or right into theater? Cause I know you, you act. Um, so what, what, what was your first move? No, the first one, as soon as I came home, I, uh, graduated in 95 and then I coached Washburn. So I went back and okay. I coached the, the JV team there. And then. Okay. After that, and two years later, in 98, I just packed up. I had like $200, and I moved to L.A. so I could try to get into this acting thing. Um, I had some semi-success out there. There's a couple of, of TV shows and music videos that I'm extras in. And then, like I said, um, it's very expensive living out there and trying to live this dream of being an actress and then moved home. And once I moved home, then I got into um, being a photographer for um, Tony Gear, and then okay. with uh, Minnesota spokesman recorder. Okay. What what was so tell me a little bit of what's it like when you walk into I I I um you made a Facebook post about going to cover a, a boxing event down at the armory and and the security basically not wanting to honor your press pass because they couldn't believe that a woman would be, you know, uh, doing photography and, and, and covering a boxing event. So tell me a little bit about what it's been like being a woman of color, getting into um, sports media, um, getting press passes, being around professional teams. Uh, what's that experience been like? Well, you know, first of all, because Minnesota Spokesman is a smaller paper, African-American paper that's been around forever. So Charles Hallman right now is a Hall of Fame journalist, and even he has to scratch and to claw his way into some of these events that uh, if he worked for the Star and Tribune and be half, half his talent, they would have just be like, come on in. Right. Um, so you talked about boxing or even at a hockey you know, game that I went to. Um, as a person of color and a woman, we are seen as, why are you here? Or this can't possibly be here. So when they would see, and we already know that we should have our credentials out so they can see it. It's not under my shirt. It's not in my bag. So there were times when people that with security would come up and literally flip my badge back and forth to see if it was real. Like, why would I be here <laughs> in a hot, in the middle of a hockey arena? You know what I mean? Like, unless I'm doing right. work, right? And right. So, or they'll, they'll say stuff like when they would pass out stats. And I've said this before, Charles Holman is what, 6'6"? Six, six? Right, mm-hmm. you know, big old mm-hmm. afro. I say six nine with the fro. We're six nine with the fro. Come on now, Charles and I are in the middle of the um, wild hockey locker room, and there's media guys all around us, and there's players, and you know, obviously, we're the only two black people in there. Mm-hmm. And the young man or woman who was passing out the stats literally walked past Charles and I and went to the people that was to our immediate left, and mm-hmm. so we were like, "Excuse me, you want stats?" And I swear to God, this is what he said. He said, "I didn't see you." I don't know if literally he didn't see us, but was it more of like, I mean, you know, you you had to be able to see us. But do you believe that we were in there, that we were in there for any other reasons besides right. being a media person, right? right. Um, to have to fight for that space in every media thing. And I think it's as women, we have to make sure that our voice is heard. Yeah. And we have a story to tell because I think especially a person of color, um, a lot of the, the, the articles that you read and, and you hear are based on, you know, white men and, you know, a few white women 
when you're talking about athletes that are predominantly black, right? So we need yeah. that voice in there, right? Um, to be able to be professional. I mean, I've been in the, the Twins locker room or um, the Timberwolves, and to be able to see, uh, when even when the players would see a black woman here in Minnesota, like, hey, sis, how you doing? You know, what can I do for you? What You need a good picture? You need some article, you know, um, interviews or whatever. So it just makes it an opportunity that if we all come together and say, hey, uh, we need representation, which I always tell our kids that regardless of what um, arena you're in, representation matters. Yeah. And I, and I, I appreciate you and thank you for the work that you're doing, because, you know, I have five daughters. And so um, and and all of my daughters are very much like their father. They're hard headed. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they are articulate. And 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 um, and when they go after something, they, they go after it hard. Um, and they're all very successful um, in their lives so far, and they need to be able to see um, women of color in spaces that women of color are not traditionally in so that it continues giving them um, possibility and, and for them to have an attitude of, well, I can go and do and be anything, anywhere, anytime, right? right. Um, so I do appreciate the work that you do. So you said that in 2009, um that you you uh, a friend of yours got season tickets to the links right and right. and you started going to games um when did you start covering them that was uh probably mid season cuz i knew tony from covering us in high school and i think one day he was like hey would you mind taking a couple pictures for me and so for a couple years i just would you know again um have our seats and then i wouldn't even go into the locker room with tony because he just wanted um, photos from the game yeah but it was when I started working with Charles um, that gave me the bright at 2010-2011 I think Charles and I were one of the first media people um, that interviewed Maya Moore when she came here so mm -hmm. to be able to if you look back and type in Onika Craven and, and Maya Moore my picture will come up right so um, to have that experience and to be under his tutelage and and to be able to, to fight the space that he needed there were times when it would say Charles Hallman on the thing and somebody would just sit there and, and he'd be like, well, you can sit somewhere else. And Charles would be like, no, my name is right there. So you're going to move. And to see that, like, OK, you, so sometimes you have to be able to to be strong enough to voice it and don't allow somebody to, to take your voice away. Like yeah. you have every right. You went through everything that you needed to to get that credential because they're not just giving it to everybody. Right. So you deserve to be in that spot. And so that's the confidence that he showed me. So when I would go on stuff myself and he's like, you can do it by your own self. And I would be scared because I would mostly be the only woman and the only woman of color. But right. I had that image of my mind that, hey, my name is on this seat. And I'm going to sit there. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, you know, this ain't drink champs, but. Let me ask you this. Um so you've been in you've been in Lakes locker rooms, you've been in Timberwolves locker rooms. Um when I so the listeners to the podcast, unless they know me personally, um, we don't really talk about my career as a spoken word artist and as a as a event producer and things like that. I try to keep it mostly about basketball most of the time. But um when Lindsay Harding was the starting point guard for the Lakes, I believe it was her either her rookie year or her second because she only was here what, two years? Two years, yeah. Yeah. So I can't remember if it was her rookie year or her second year, but um uh I it was um I got asked to perform 
for the Lynch senior anniversary. Were you at that banquet? Yeah, the you did the, the you did a play uh, a poem. about your daughter about your daughter about. Well, it wasn't about my daughter per but se. It was, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was it's a piece that I, I still perform for the kids to this day called "Yes, You Can, Princess." And uh, it's just a piece about encouraging young women to get involved in athletics and and not take no for an answer and being a supportive father. That's kind of what the the piece is all about. But through that uh, event, I met Lindsay and then and she was a spoken word fan. Um, and so she we did a little a collaboration thing where I, I wrote a piece for her and she came and performed it at one of my events, uh, which was really cool. Um, but getting to know her um I'll never forget. She told me um, she was kind. She told me how much money she makes overseas playing, right, versus how much she made playing in the WNBA. But what stuck out to me was how she had the foresight. Now she went to Duke, so you know it's not you can't really get into Duke with with a D average. But, <laughs> but she had the foresight to understand, like. I don't make NBA money really in either place. She was making good money overseas, real good money. I wish I was making that kind of money now. She was making good money <laughs> overseas, right? But I remember her saying, like, she basically lives off of her WNBA salary and she stacks all her overseas money. And, and so she lived very modest life right like you know nba players they sign a rookie contract and then then they go get a maybach right <laughs> but that that's clearly not the case for wnba players so i just wanted to ask you like what's when you're in the locker room and you're in both of those locker rooms what's maybe some of the um uh the similarities and then some of the contrast just in kind of the person, the, the players themselves, because athletes are athletes, right? So there's certain things that are universal, but what's kind of the difference you notice from being in the Timberwolves locker room versus being in a Lynx locker room? Well, we'll start off with the, the Lynx. I think as the, as if you ever even watch any of the WNBA teams, and they, they're not able to do it more now because of COVID. So they kind of backed off of who the access that, you know, you can get to the players. But yeah. um, the women and even with their fans to be in that locker room, um, they were very open to whoever was in there because they know that that was a brand that they were selling. Versus right. the men knew that the name on the back and, you know, the team that they play for was the in and of themselves. Right. right. You're, you're a Timberwolf player. Then you have your you have uh, a type of. Of stuff that people just look at, but like I already know that. But for the the links, if you had a chance just for a little girl to come up to a Simone or Augustus or a Lindsay Whaling, you changed her, that young lady's life forever. And yeah. so they were very great gracious for us to be in there. And some of the Timberwolves, even I think we even um, at one point we we interviewed the Lakers, and so it was Kobe and Derek Fisher. You know, and we were in there, and we're just trying to get to Kobe and he's like, okay, here's what I'm doing, blah, 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 and move on. But right. Lindsey Whalen would sit there for 20 minutes and have conversation, not just interview you as and some of the questions that you would have, but actually, how are you doing today? What yeah. What's going on with you, right? And so I think that's the difference between the two, that they were seen more as a commodity for the community versus, you know, I'm making a million dollars, I'm just doing this because I have to. Yeah. yeah. And the women <laughs> was doing it because I'm thankful to be able to do it. Yeah, and they're expanding their brands. So every, every every everybody that they can touch that can go out and talk about their experience expands the brand. Say 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 Kobe gave you the old Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm not saying that Kobe was a bad guy. I mean, it's just right. Just a difference. difference. Right. You know, they 
the women's team, they were pretty much, they'd be ready for interviews within 10 minutes. And I think Kobe waited, you know, 35, 40 minutes. He came out with his full suit on and like, okay, what's your questions? Okay. Right. And that was it. You know, he probably didn't think twice about that. But for a young woman like myself to be able to sit and also as a woman to be able to like, man, I, if I was playing back in your day, you know, I could have been a Meyer Moore or something like that. Right. So it gave me an opportunity to be able to voice what some of the people who weren't of color to give those black players. Cause I think there was a time when Simone got sick and she had an operation, a female operation. Mm-hmm. And they, the whole thing, they were asking her about her operation. Like, well, I'm, and I'm like, that's none of your business. That has right. nothing to do with the game. Right. right? As right. a female, I wouldn't have asked her those questions. And so right. we had to be like, okay, we need to move on. Right? right. But for them, that was a story and like her personal life and what she, the health reasons that she's going through is not something that we need to talk about after her a win or a loss. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's heavy. I guess I hadn't even thought about that element of it and, and just kind of how entitled sometimes um, us males can be um, when we're, or, and how insensitive we can be about, you know, just women and women. I mean, we look at the country now and it's like, why are we even arguing about a woman's right, woman's right to do what she wants to do with her body? Right? Like, why is that even a conversation? That's that patriarchal entitlement. And I guess that's a great example of how it plays out in the locker room setting. And like I said, as a dad with five daughters, see, I, I'm learning these things because, you know, I'm, I'm Papa Bear. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't you mess with my daughters. That's <laughs> with my babies. That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about this last late season. Um, what is there anything that surprised you? What 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 was your th- what are your thoughts on this past season for the Lynx? I think for us to go from O and six to mm-hmm. be able to win a string of games and and make it into the playoffs, even though we we lost in the first round, um, the, the Lynx are very talented at every position. I've been saying it all season, but I don't think they have that um, player like a Lindsey Whalen that can grab these girl women when they're in the midst of um, something going bad and just pulling them back together. There were four games or four or five games where I went to where the Lynx were up by 12 points with like four or five minutes to go. And you look at the score and they're down or they're only leading by one because it just seemed like everybody was, you know, they would seem like they would panic, but Lindsay Whalen would be able to pull them together. Like, Hey, we need to get this thing together. And I think that's what they're missing. Um, They don't have that goal to, we have scores. Everybody on there can score, but who is that, that dog? Who's going to be the one that says, Hey, I'm going to put you like Simone Augustus. I'm going to put you on my shoulder and you guys are going to follow me. And I don't think, they they have that. They don't have that player. Um, Fiji, she's a great player, but is she that one that that's going to be in the locker room and tell these girls how? I just don't know if that's the if she's the one. They need a, they need a montage out there. They do. They need somebody <laughs> out there, you know. Um, and they need like there were some games where they just was out rebound. They got rebounds, but they weren't like intentional rebounds like Rebecca Brunson would be, mm-hmm. right? And at the end of the games, when you 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 spend the whole time defending somebody against the clock. They shoot the ball and then you just let somebody just go right to the lane and just get a rebound. Like that stuff's intentional. You have to, you know, as a rebounder myself, that's something you think about. Where is this ball going? I have to be in this place. I have to, you know, block this person out. And I think sometimes they just, at the, sometimes at the end of the game, they just would, they would space out. I was like, what are you guys doing? They would turn the ball over. And I know Cheryl's just like, oh, what are we doing? You know what I mean? But 
they need that type of player on there, that bulldog that can bring be the voice of that team. And I don't think they, they don't think they have it yet. That that's an interesting take because, um, well, one, you said a lot of things that I said about the Timberwolves team many times, um, especially about kind of the attitude and approach toward rebounding. And one of, one of the things I said on the last pod was that. In my opinion, this season's Lynx team mirrored a lot of um, last season's Timberwolves team in the sense that um, Dorka and Diamond, very talented young players, but still make young player mistakes that really hurt you in a professional game um, when when they when they compound when there's too many of them. Um and um, I felt like you know, uh, well, injuries was another yeah. um, was another uh, um, similarity that I noticed between the two teams' season because uh, Jessica Shepard's you know not being there in the playoffs. Like the, the Wolves went into the playoff series down you know a starter and a top reserve, and the Lynx basically went into the playoffs down two starters, mm-hmm. right? Because the point guard Allen was yeah. also hurt. Lindsay Allen, Lindsay, right? Lindsay Allen, yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome yeah. work. And so, and so they're playing, you know, and Tiffany Mitchell's a more of a combo guard. She's perfect, you know, coming off the bench role, but she's not, in my opinion, a true point guard. And so there was some similarities there. And, you know, Jay McDaniel and Anthony Edwards for as much as I love them as players and what they're going to be. And I know, and I, and I always, Tease Lloyd, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get shots fired at me every time I criticize them because, you know, Timberwolves or Anthony Edwards can do no wrong. But as a basketball coach and as a former player, I see so many things in the five on five element of the game that he could improve on. And that's kind of how I looked at Diamond. Like I, I looked at Diamond as this player who's uber athletic, but really I think got a, a, a rude awakening on the professional game when right. everybody's athletic, right? And and all of a sudden, the same moves that were so dominant in college don't quite work <laughs> the same work, at right. this level. Um, and you can't just out-athlete people, right? And there's consequences for shot selection and there's consequences for over-dribbling and things like that that just aren't the, weren't the case in college. And to me, that's a lot of what the young Wolves players have been learning. That 0-6 start, I'll be honest with you, I, I was, well, the eye-opener to me was when they didn't bring back um, uh, was it Crystal? No, not Crystal Dangerfield. Who was the guard that they had last year? Because Crystal Dangerfield was the guard they drafted and let go, right? Mm-hmm. And then who was the the young Connecticut guard that they uh brought in last year that ran their one for them? Um, I can't remember her name offhand, but another smallish guard. And and when Cheryl when when she constructed the team, I was like, what is she doing? Mm-hmm. Like, to me, it just felt like she was letting go of players that um that they would need that were organizers um and i was like who's gonna play point guard for this team yeah you, and, you know? rachel she's a guard but she's not that even you know at, at the at the u they were just like giving the ball to rachel and then she has moments where she's hot and cold but she's not a, a true point guard like you said Lindsay allen she's decent but she's not the one that's going to lead that team you know and right. then she was hurt like you said right and it was it her was, first year with the team it was, right and it was the first she year was with trying the team. to learn personnel and and i think playing point guard for cheryl miller i think is really really i mean cheryl miller for really. cheryl is really hard mm-hmm. um 
because she really expects her point guard to be a coach on the floor. I think that's why her and Lindsey Whalen has such great symmetry is because a lot of times she didn't have to do any of the thinking for Lindsey. Lindsey, Lindsey just knew what she was doing, right? She was just a Hall of Famer for a reason. Um, and so I think being a free agent pickup, first year point guard playing for Cheryl Reeve, had to be really hard. And if you notice, right about the time Lindsey Allen figured it out, her turnover down, her assists were up, that's when they started winning, right? Um, And and so, and and, but when she constructed the team, I was like, okay, they're tanking for uh, Clark or they're they're tanking for pain. I I I, thought the same thing. I really did. I was telling people that. Like, she's trying to get those draft picks, but then – then they started winning, and then they made it to the playoffs. And I'm like, but that's not Cheryl's DNA. Like, right, exactly. That's why I was so confused. That's just not who she is. No, right, she's like, I ain't giving away. I'm no not. Yeah. She's not trying no, to give. I'm go. I'm go. Yeah, she. That's what I love about her. Yeah, she's like, I didn't get 300 wins for no reason. We're going to ride this out, you know. And I think those players that if once you know, I'm trying to figure out what did you think about her relationship with Ariel Powell's. I okay, so I don't know Ariel Powers, so I can only say this from how I think as a coach and deal with players. I think oh, we're gonna be here for a while, Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Ariel Powers is probably too stubborn to play for Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Um Ariel wants to be a high volume player. But her efficiency, one, does not make up for the mistakes that she makes on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and I and I think that um I think that high mistake basketball, from my observation, seems to grate on Cheryl more than anything else. And I thought this was her best coaching job um since I've been watching her with the links because of the patience that she uh, showed diamond and the patience that she showed Dorka, but Ariel, you don't get that same level of patience because you're a veteran. Right. right. And I just felt like Ariel made too many mistakes and went rogue too much on offense for her efficiency level. Um, Made too many mistakes on defense and went rogue. And they, and they were glaring mistakes. Like I'm, you know, when you've been around the game as long as you and I have, and I took my daughters to some games and I was explaining the game to my daughter and I took them to the Vegas game. So it was probably a horrible example. <laughs> but I, I took them to, I was like, look here, we're going to go watch the Lynx get waxed, right. <laughs> but, but it's going to be fun because the Lynx games are always fun. Right. But uh, could, could Cheryl have gotten more usage out of Ariel? Yes. But at what sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think um, a lot of her not playing Ariel or having such a short leash with Ariel was more about Diamond than it was about Ariel. Mm. Because I think Ariel and Diamond, um, Diamond it wants to be a ball-dominant, high-usage score, right? And um, I think that she didn't want Diamond to pick up some bad habits from Ariel. And it was kind of like, Ariel, if you're going to be out there, you're going to play the way I want you mm-hmm. Play. If you're not going to play the way I want you to play, you're not going to be out there. And Ariel's talented. She's very talented. Um, I just think it's oil and water, though. I just think Cheryl, Cheryl, you know how Cheryl, she's structured. Like, they run some of the best sets in the WNBA for a reason. 
she's a very, very, very structured coach. And Ariel's a very, very, very up-tempo, free-flowing, you know, ISO-type player. Let me get out in transition. Let me get on the wing and let me break somebody down and do my thing. And um, I just don't know that she's good enough at that for the personnel that the Lynx had to play that role. Now, if they had a team like, you know, if they had a team like their championship teams where you had a starting five that was just going to wax people and you needed a player to come off the bench and just be a high volume, you know, Jamal Crawford style bench score, Ariel's perfect in that role. And I think that was kind of the role she played when she was in Washington, I believe it was, Mm -hmm. when they went to the finals. But I don't think the Lynx were a team that um, needed her to be that type of player. I think Cheryl needed her to be more of a leader and more of an example setter and use her skills that way. So I just, I just think it was oil and water. And I I think Arrow's a a very talented player. Cheryl's track record speaks for herself as a coach. I just felt like it was oil and water. That was my. Thank you. I I did. I did. It sounded like, I had given you the questions of the test already and you was prepared, but that's what I like about you, brother. <laughs> he was ready. I look, I I watch the links now. I can get into something. Yeah. Very few people cannot talk to about it. And I watch basketball with a coach's mind eye, yeah. right? Yeah. And I watch the links. I watch the links the same way I watch the wolves, you know? Right. Um and so I, I and I agree with you, they do need that leader. They need a point guard. Um, I think Lindsey Allen would be a great, great backup point guard. Yeah. I don't know that she's the starting caliber point guard that they need. Right. Um, and then the other part is they just need maturity. Like, you yeah. know, you talked about the, the rebounding and you mentioned players like Rebecca. Well, Rebecca was a grown ass woman mm-hmm. when she came to the links. You right. know, she, she'd already won a title with New York. You know, same with like Taj, like those teams had, you know, well, you look at, you look at who's in the finals now and you look at who's probably, Going to win. I, I can't see New York beating Las Vegas that many times. I just can't see it. And, but you look at the post person, you look at what Connecticut was able to do with, um, with, uh, with the, with the links in terms of just really physically beating them up. Um, you know, Alicia was just, just a woman amongst girls out there. Right. But then what happened when they ran against John Quill Jones? It was okay. like baby candy, right? <laughs> Right. The the middle child was able to beat up on the youngest child, but then when the middle child had to go see the oldest child, it wasn't, it was over. Right. Yeah. And elbows and bullying people around. What happened? They were like, "Mm, mm, mm, no, I don't want no part of this. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so I just think that, you know, mature, physical maturity for Dorka, physical maturity for Diamond, some of that was just, I felt like by winning a game in Connecticut, that sent the season from surprise to like vastly overachieved. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that was that. And that's why I said, I think this was Cheryl's best coaching job because you had a young injured team and also she got something out of feet that I didn't think fee had in her. I didn't think he could be an alpha score. I've always looked at fee is, you're going to look up at the end of the game at the box score and she's going to have 18 points and 10 rebounds and three block shots and two steals and four assists. And you're, it's all going to be quiet. You're not going to know when any of that happens. <laughs> right. Right. Like, cause she's got a, a, a player she's playing with that's averaging 25. Right. So that's where all the noise is made. But then you look up and say, well, who won us the game? 
you look at Fee's numbers, right? Right. I did not see this version of Nafisa Collier coming where she was just a dog on the offensive end, looking for her shot, looking to be a score, what, averaging 23, 24 game, top five in the league in scoring. I just never saw that because I never saw that mentality coming. But whatever Cheryl said to Fee, she was and, and now think about it. She came out with one of her best seasons that you talked about, and this is after sitting out a little bit last year for having a baby. I say this after giving what, birth. What um, you look, I, you know, yeah. I mean, you look at even Serena Williams, you know, while she was pregnant. So I don't know if there's something in the blood with these babies, but she came out because you know sometimes people. When the women come on, they have these babies. It takes so much toll on your body. Yeah. And so if she were to go backwards, you'd be like, I understand that. It might take you a year to get yourself back. But she came out running. I met, I talked to her before the season. She's like, you know, Cheryl wants me to be the leader of this team. There's so much that I want to do that I haven't been able to do. And she pretty much said that what kind of year she was going to have. And she went out there and she did it. I'm like, you just had a baby. Look, look, <laughs> I, I look. My body's messed up if I got heartburn too bad. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine, right? Like, look, if I get an upset stomach, I'm going to sit my butt down. I can't even imagine what it's like. Because, you know, obviously being a male, I'll never deliver a child. But I have cut my share of umbilical cords. Right, right. Right. And, and and I have watched a woman's body transform and for her to do what she did. And she's not the only one in the league, obviously. Right, 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 right. But I just don't, you know, I just don't think people, I don't think men give those ladies enough credit. No. Like, look, if you give me a choice between giving birth and returning to the field of athletics or tearing the ACL and returning to the field of athletics. Give me a torn ACL every day of the week and twice on Sunday. <laughs> right? Like, yes. Me and this yes. knee going to work this out. And, and you have to, as a woman, though, you don't just have birth and then give it to the boyfriend or the husband or the wife. Right, you're, every, a you, you're, you're a mom. I mean, every picture yeah. you see Alf, with Rafizia Alf court, she's with her baby. Or, yeah. you know, at court, you know, she's practicing and still have to be a mom. So this has to take a toll on your body. And so that's why I said representation matters. So when you're, you're doing these reports and you talk about these women, I'm like you try having a baby and being a mother <laughs> full time. Shut right. up. You right. 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 But I think the, the, the men, a lot of the men are so concerned about who these women are with that. It just, I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care. I don't care that these men are sleeping with all these women across the country. And I don't care what women basketball players sleeping with what basketball player, what, what does she do? What is her stat? 157, right. 10 assists, and three steals. That's right. what I want to know about, right? Right. And, and so we're so fixed on the WNBA being a certain way, and this is why people don't watch it. And I'm just like, get your mind on whatever goes offside, but those those lines between those two basketball court, that's what you need to be focused on. And if you really sit down and just watch it for the game itself, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Um, the you know they were like, well, the women are more fundamentals. Well, at, back in the day, that was it. But now you have a girl like Clark. That ain't fundamental. <laughs> Those are not the fundamentals. What <laughs> watching that Las Vegas Aces team when when I went to the Lynx game, I was like, I don't know if I've ever seen a juggernaut quite like this. I I I I, I, I was sitting there and I was wondering what would it have been like if like maybe that that second Lynx championship team or even the even the Sylvia Files championship teams um, 
had gone up against this Las Vegas Aces team. Like that, man, can you imagine like Kelsey Plum and Lindsay? Oh, Lynn, uh, you, you like uh, just look, just Asia Wilson. Chelsea Gray, Asia Wilson, Maya Moore, Simone Augustus, like just battling. Oh battling. my gosh, I, it would have just been nuts. Oh, that's that's but that's isn't that what we do? And I think it's a beautiful thing that we can do that with the WNBA now, you know, the conversations of eras with the men's game and, you know, the Showtime Lakers versus the, you know, the the, the 90s Bulls and, you know, LeBron's Heat, who would win Kobe and Shaq, who would win mm-hmm. in the different eras. Right. And now we're able to say, you know, the 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 Tina Thompson, Cheryl Swoop, Cynthia Cooper team versus the Simone Augustus and more Sylvia right. team versus the, you know, um, Phoenix. You got to put Phoenix in there, um, right? right? What? Right. Dr. Taurasi? Juana Bonner and, 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 yeah. and, and, and Brittany Griner. Like, yes. yeah. you know, the, the L.A. teams with, you know, with Chelsea Gray and Candace Parker and like yeah. just. Yeah, it's it's uh I think it's beautiful that we can talk about women's basketball in that vein now and really talk about eras and comparing eras and you know and 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 have you know women in the, in the locker rooms representing the media that like you said are able to you know ask the professional sports questions and not the silly patriarch questions. <laughs> you know. Right, the, right, right. Questions. Um, yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I need to get a pass and go in there with you just so I can see what type of silly stuff <laughs> the, the men are. I, I, uh... <laughs> we won't go too deep into it on the pod. No, I know, but it's just amazing. Say nothing to come back and bite you in the butt. But right, I... <laughs> right. It's amazing, you know, some of the questions that came up and you're just like, why are you asking them this question? But, you know, that's why you, we have, it's great that we have the women and, um, and you, you know, I know there was a part on the thing you wanted to talk about is like the coaches and stuff. And yeah, that's where we're going to go next. With, yeah. with you know, with um, Becky Hammond, yeah, coaching um, Vegas, and then yeah. you have Sandy coaching New York. Yeah, Sandy was Becky Hammond's coach when she was in San Antonio. Like, what are we doing? You know, I mean, right, to be right. Able to see that. So, um, this is you know, coach. I'm about to take you. You know, the, you because you think about if you look at the tree though, Dan. Hughes and all the people that have come under him that have been able to coach. Um, you have player, you have coaches now that are in the league that played under. And so you think of Poppy, Pop, you know, and all the coaches yeah. that he had. Right? Yeah, the tree, right? The yeah, tree, right, right. So all these branches that he have under that, and that's what Dan Hughes is. And so when you're looking at the the links, there's a you know ten six degrees of separation of him and what his tutelage was, you know, because he he finally won in in Seattle. But mm-hmm. if you look at all the coaches that came under him, um, there's probably at least four of them that who have made who have won championships in the WNBA. Wow! Yeah, that's, yeah. Look that up. Look that up. That's yeah. that's that's a again that's a beautiful thing to to see how the coaches are are growing. It's just a matter of time before there's a lady coaching an NBA team. I just yeah, I would have liked to see Becky get her shot, but I also like the fact that she's in Vegas. Like right, right. In case y'all had any question about my ability as a coach, <laughs> let me show I'm you. gonna roll in here and dominate this league just to let y'all know. Right. You know? I've been here two years and I've been in the final two years in a row. And right. if, if and I and just a little nugget, if Vegas wins, it'll be the only uh, the last time somebody's won a back-to-back was the Los Angeles Sparks in 2001, 2002. Wow. So it's not easy to do. So no. 
the fact that the Leaf won every other year. Every other, every other like, year. Every odd. Uh, yeah. So yeah. to see that, you know, even with Phoenix, you know, or mm-hmm. Seattle, any of those teams that won in Detroit, to be able to go back that far and be like to find somebody did a back to back, it's not easy. It's, you know, because yeah. you win it that first time, you're like, okay, great. But then everybody, that's why the Lynx weren't able to win it back to back because every team in the league is coming at you, right? Yep. And they know, like, okay, but even though they made it, they it every other year, <laughs> every other year. And I would venture to say the league has more talent now than ever before, so that makes it more impressive way right, right. the is doing out in Las Vegas. Now, granted, they probably have four of the most talented ladies in the league at their respective positions, you know. Like, yeah. There's not three guards better than Kelsey Plum or Chelsea Gray, you know, in the league, right? Oh, yeah, right, right. Chelsea Gray was giving us the business. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I knew she was going to be a problem her rookie year. I knew as soon as she got done being hot-headed and wild, she was going to be a problem. Right, right, right. You know, and and then Asia's just like – Asia Wilson is just – I, when, when I, cause we were sitting like in the fourth row. So, you know, I didn't have Onika seats, but I was pretty close <laughs> to the court. You know, I wasn't going to be on the news yelling, you know, <laughs> but I was pretty close to the court. And that is a impressive athlete. I mean, yeah. that woman is put together as she is. She's a monster. She something that that kind of beast that I was telling you about. That I think the least, maybe even just half of what Kelsey is, right? Just a little bit of what she is. What but, Asia? Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the links. That's what I'm saying. Like you're not with Asia. Asia's a beast, but I'm talking about there's that point guard. Oh yeah, that, that Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Chelsea. Great. You know, just if we could just have. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of leadership. You know what I mean? Like she'd be like, okay, y'all. I'm about to put y'all because there's times when Asia's not having a good game, but then you, like you said, Kelsey Plum will come in and get you 20. Now they have this young lady, Jackie Young. So do you think about the last game? Chelsea? I remember Jackie at Baylor. Right, right. So you Jackie have was a problem Jackie, in Kelsey, and um, and Chelsea, Jackie, and Kelsey had 72 of the 99 points in right. the last game. What? But that's why I didn't so load it right. Like you, you can you can load up on Asia Wilson if you want. That's to. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's without Asia. Like, what are and you Candace arguing? Parker's not even playing. What? That's what I'm saying. Like, you have these. Like, who the man? This is. I mean, not to say that New York don't have their 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 crew either. I mean, they, you know, they do got the be. MVP and and Vandersloeth is no, is no slouch and and and, and Ionesca. Like they they're loaded too. I mean, there's a reason why these two teams are in the finals. Right. Right. And so this is very entertaining. I mean, um, and to see, like, again, the coaches and how, you know, um, Sandy's been in the league as a coach for a while. She was a former WNBA player as well. And now you have, you know, um, Becky as a coach just in the two years. But she has all that under pop. You know what I mean? Like she had Dan Hughes as her coach, but then she worked under pop. So she had the best of both. So she has nothing but to be successful, right? And so I think that's what we we want to see more of is the women who played in the league to be able to coach the women. Because I think, it, you know, there was years where it was like, you know, 12 teams and 10 of them were men, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're getting an opportunity that women are now starting to coach some of the women's teams. And I would like to see uh, a woman coach an NBA um, at some time, you know, like, what, I think why can't they? later. I hope so too. I hope so. I think. I, I think honestly, I think it'll probably be Becky, and I think she's probably going to get a nice check. They're going to back up to bring Struck for her because right, right, right. Like, look, you want me to go through 
being a first, right. I've already got, you know, potentially two titles, if not more. I mean, mm-hmm. that squad's going to keep it rolling until somebody, you know, until somebody finds a way to step up and, and, and deal with all of that talent. And they're going to have to back up the Brinks truck to get her out of the WNBA at this I point. Think so, I think so. Um, a couple more thoughts on the WNBA, and then and then uh, we're going to move to the Wolves. Uh, once again, you're listening to the Coach in the Culture podcast. I am Coach Frank, and our guest is Onika Craven, uh, former um, Minneapolis Patrick Henry and Minneapolis Washburn High School player, a Hall of Famer from Rainy River uh, Community College uh, in their school Hall of Fame, and then all, and then graduated from University of Minnesota Morris. Um, and since then, she's been in Hollywood acting. She's coached basketball. She does photography. She uh, has media credentials with the spokesman and recorder and and does interviews. Um, she's been in the Lynx locker room, the Timberwolves locker room, the Wild locker room. You've been in Twins in the Twins dugouts too? Yep. Yep. So, so, so the sister is doing it all out here as a black woman in media. And more importantly to me, she's a dear friend. Um, somebody that, 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 uh, we had a lot of fun, uh, coaching basketball, being campers and then coaching, um, at Clyde Turner basketball camps, the legendary Clyde Turner. So Onika is our guest. Um, we talked a little bit about Cheryl Reeves. Um, but I wanted, I want to, uh, get your opinion diving in a little bit deeper, um, because you've been around her. Um, what do you think are the things that make her so successful as a coach? Um, and, and what have you noticed how her players respond to her? Well, I mean, she came here from Detroit when they, when they, when they were winning, um, she won two championships with the, uh, with Detroit before she Detroit. came here. They were the shock back then, right? Yeah. 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 They were the shock. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. I got, I got to do this because you brought up Charles Holman earlier. I'm from Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, inside joke, inside joke. <laughs> yes. He, oh. You didn't mess with me. I'm from Detroit. Man, you've been in Minnesota in 80 years, bro. Come on, bro. But he's from Detroit. But he's from Detroit. Give a Cheryl from Detroit. From Detroit. So she already had that pedigree of part as far as um, coming here from coaching and stuff. And so once she got here and then, um, you know, being able to work with, even though um, Gino is from the college level, but working mm-hmm. with the, you know, the Olympic team and these right. all these professional players and be able to right. see them now i mean not that she couldn't do it on her own you know what i mean but to be able to have that those kind of she's kind of a coach like gino she will get on you right? yeah she wants yeah. the best out of you um if you're a sensitive person cheryl's probably not the coach that she wants but she <laughs> wants to get i think i like gino they they can push and push because they want the best out of you they see potential in you that you may not see Right. But at the end of the day, when you just have a conversation, I think there was somebody that took a picture of me and Cheryl in the stands at a gopher game. And we were just hooping it up like she was just that laid back. Yeah. And she's coaching. Um, you Like she said, she's focused on that and she sees the game in a way that a lot of people don't. So when you say that Ariel is out there and she's just respirited and doing her own thing, that's not the system that Cheryl is has right. in her head. Like right. you, you have some freedom. I mean, like when right. she did that four one with with Simone, one four flat, yeah, yeah, right. Simone can do her thing, but it was in that 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 that, that ideal of of what she had, right. And I think that's one of the things that you were talking about with Ariel. She was like, okay, that's not wait, wait, what are we doing? Because when she did all that, it didn't work out, right. 
Right. <laughs> if you're going to do right. all that, make sure it works. Right. You know? Exactly. That's what I say. You got to be efficient. So if, yes. you, if, if you're going to have questionable shot selection, you better make more than you miss. Right. And so I think, you know, and she really sees the game in it. And I think her relationship, you saw it more so with Lindsay because she was able to pull Lindsay over and say, what do you see? And get yeah. Lindsay that that way of going out there and like, this is your, your team, but run it in my system. And she would. Yeah. They could kind of play off each other. They read each other like, okay, this is what we need to do. And um, to have a coach like Cheryl, we we couldn't have gotten any. I mean, we were blessed. <laughs> I've said it on this podcast a number of times. She's the best basketball coach in the state of Minnesota, and it's not really even close. Yeah. Um, I, I and I, I believe that hands down. But but what you're saying is you're a lot better coach when you're coaching Hall of Fame point guards. That that yeah. makes. <laughs> right. It's a little easier when you look up because I think Lindsay said it a couple like a couple of weeks ago when they were putting up her 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 banner in the she's uh-huh. like we have four and and Maya Moore's will be up there in another year. Yeah. But the true tell was looking at the team that she had this year. Like you said, she yeah. could have tanked it, right? Yeah. And just waited for whoever was gonna come out next year and get those first two um uh draft picks. But that's just not who she is. She is a winner through and through. And she's yeah. going to work with what she has. Obviously, she's the GM. She's the one that brought these players in. And so with the with, you know, the, the the championship team, she wasn't the GM for most of that. So they were bringing players in. Right. Right. But here, this is your team. These are the people right. that you picked. Right. So she wants to do everything she can to make it work. Yeah, I was the beginning of the season. I was like, I don't know about Cheryl as a GM. You cutting some. You're cutting some pretty good players. Right, right. So you're like, okay. But she got she got diamond. You know what I mean? Yeah. So at the yeah. end of the day, it worked, you know, when she gets those. There's been a couple of picks that they made. And I'm like, why did you? And then you're like, okay, they were they turned out. Monica Wright was one of those players that I was like, but oh, you said we need crush on her. No, my okay. bad. <laughs> <laughs> my heart fluttered a little bit when you said Monica Wright. Boy, I was well, when she was dating Kevin Durant, I was like, dang me, man, them six picks. Balling dudes got all the luck. Anyway. <laughs> don't, don't put this in the podcast, man. <laughs> Monica was a hooper, though. No, she was. She was. But, you know, it's like, but she wasn't one of those players that I thought would come in and do. And But she was on a, one of those championship teams, and yeah. we needed her. You know what I mean? So she has the eye for the game. And, and, and I think for Cheryl being a former athlete herself, and she talks about the influence of her father had on her as not only a player, but a coach. And you can kind of see that um, yeah. she has a love for it. And, you know, she doesn't like slacking off at all. She believes that every player that comes onto that court will be in part of her system and that she can win with them. And that's what we kind of saw later in the season because they went, they won five or six in a row, but then they play the aces and you're like, oh, okay, well, this gone. You know what I mean? Like, so they're able, their talent is there. Um, it might take a little longer because you, you, for the next couple of years, New York is going to be in the finals and Vegas is going to be in the finals. So Minnesota has to find their identity. And I, right now I don't know if they, they know who that is. Well, I, they definitely, I think the roster is going to look different next year, but I really feel like what Nafisa did um, is going to expedite their process of, of building back to a contending level. And I, and I say that for this reason, I know Cheryl really went hard after Courtney Vandersloot mm-hmm. in the off season um, so she clearly knew, like, I need that all-star caliber guard yeah. Yeah. to put this all together. And, of course, Courtney was like, uh, but Stewie's over here in New York. I think I'm going to go with this way, right? Yeah, she's and she's right. right. Yeah. Over here. I think I'm going to go hang out with John Quell and Stewie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but 
um, watching them just out execute the average teams. Like, like you said, they go on that little five, six game winning streak. And so you knew who the better coach team was most of the time when they stepped on the floor. And then it was just a matter of, okay, where's our talent at? But I think that Nafisa going out there and playing the way she played, um, if, if I'm a high level free agent, like I was really upset when Seattle resigned Jewel Lloyd because I really thought she was. Oh, I, I wish I, yeah. I was like, boy, you put Jewel Lloyd out there with Fee and a second year Dorka and Diamond and, 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 and Kayla, we back. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, right. Um uh, that right that one player right there puts us right back at contention level. But I think that um, you know, if if I'm a player and I'm looking around, you know what Nafisa can do as kind of the Robin to a Batman, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what we thought was the role that was perfect for her. But she was absolutely Batman this year. She was superwoman. She was super superwoman. She took and and seeing her do that again, a year coming off of giving birth basically you know if i'm a if i'm a high level free agent i'm taking a hard look at minnesota cheryl's got the pedigree she's coaching the olympic team all of a sudden you got these two young players that got this experience and won a road playoff game you got fee so i think they're closer than i think even cheryl might have suspected that they would be at this point in time diamond's got so much yeah 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 so much she's got so much she's got to get better at but she's going to be one of the more athletic players in the league for years to come um once dorka gets in the weight room and gets that jumper right and can truly be a stretch big and again we say this but they were dialing two starters you know they they took connecticut to to a to a closeout game down two starters we don't know what it looks like if they're healthy you know, right, right. for for a whole season. So I think they're closer than because of Cheryl, I think they're closer than um than than people realize. Um and it'll be interesting to see who they draft. But you know, if, again, I was wishing Jewel Lloyd would just like hey, you don't want to be in Seattle. You wanna be in Minnesota with us. Right, but right. but the, one of the things I was gonna ask you was about Cheryl's ability to coach um marquee players that aren't under contract with the Lynx because I wonder, I was, I was, I wondered how her coaching style and personality was going to gel with the Olympic team, for example, when you're coaching all of these superstars and you are kind of a hard driving, expect precise execution coach. I wonder, will Cheryl have to change a little bit coaching that level of talent? Um, or will that level of talent pretty much know what you're getting into when you go play for Cheryl Reeves? Um, Gino sure. was the coach for the Olympic team for several years. I know, but Gino to me doesn't seem like his look, big hard ass. Maybe his reputation. Look, no, he, no. <laughs> you said no. You, no, trust see, I've me. I've never been around Gino. So. No, no. Gino is that. <laughs> just watch a couple of. Just watch. Ask any of the players. I think he has that that drive, like Cheryl. And you already know what you're getting with Cheryl. Right. It's nice. Right. And right. I don't she's think. On, yeah, she, yeah. She wears it on her sleeve. She, she's not yeah. fake. And I think you don't want her to change. Now, does she have to back up a little bit and not be as hard? Because some, you know, with these younger players, the older ones could probably handle it. Right. The younger ones do, who haven't had that type of player. But if you're LSU, you don't think Kim is on those players that hard? Oh, no. Kim is. Kim is. That's not- what I'm saying. So you got it, and, and there's going to be players that are going to be on this this Olympic team. And so um, you don't want really Cheryl to be able to change enough. You just 
I think she just has to learn what buttons to push for each player. And some of that is harder. Some of that is loose. But I think as a coach, we'll all be able to uh, to be able to see. I think they'll be very successful. And I think also the players that she picks will be able to work together. And I and I tell you this, there well, was four a, of them already for already play together. Maybe five. Right. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. So they kind of they they'll be able to gel. But I know she she wants players that can play together. And I say that because there was several years ago. Um, where a coach who's affiliated with the USA team who didn't pick a, a caliber, a caliber player because of her attitude and not because of her skills, right. but they felt that she would be that bad apple and they didn't think they could win with her. So it's not just the talent, but right, it's right, the, right. Past the personality. And this was a straight from a coach's mouth. And I think Cheryl will see that and be like, who can we bring in? Because Plum is still, I mean, she won the three-on-three tournament last, you know, for the Olympics. So she's, yeah. when you bring these players in, I think they all kind of know what you're getting with Cheryl. And, you know, it ain't really about the coaches, about, you know, representing the United States. Right. And you have to put your, because it's not about you, it's about the team in general, it's about representing. So you can't worry about Cheryl because they made Cheryl the head coach because of who she is and how she did and the yeah. pedigree and how she's able to, I mean, with Lindsay and all those great players that she had for years, she's able to bring all those people in together. And I think they're going to, they're going to be fine. I'd oh, yeah, be surprised. Yeah. I'd be surprised if they don't win. And, and yet you just, the, the chemistry will be there though. These women who play, they might be uh, uh, opponents during the season, but they go overseas and they play together. Right. So right. I, I don't, she'll be fine. She'll right. Be fine. Yeah. That That's, that's a good point. Very good point. Well, I, I will be remiss on on the Coach in the Culture podcast if we didn't talk a little bit of Timberwolves. And and for the listeners, our next pod we're going to um uh do player kind of player evaluations and do some season predictions. Uh we'll do another another episode before the regular season starts here, and that's gonna be probably about seventy five minutes of straight Timberwolves player. We're gonna go down the starting line of probably the top top nine or 10 in the rotation, talk a lot of Chris Finch and what he's going to do with these players, in my opinion, and then talk about how we think the season's going to go. But again, uh, we have a wonderful guest, Onika Craven, and I've been wanting to talk Lynx basketball and talk WNBA basketball all year long, uh, all summer long. And Onika is like a world traveler and, uh, and a superstar. And so we finally got her real quick before we move on from the W. Um, what's, what's your prediction for the finals? Um, I think New York will be able to pull one out, but I think Vegas is going to, in the end, they're going to, they're going to do what hadn't been done since 2002, 2001. So you give New York one game or two? I'm giving them one. I'm giving them one. <laughs> they get one, uh. They get one, man. I mean, and I, I think I say that because um, I'll be in New York if, if they, you know, they go to game four. So mm-hmm. I kind of won. It's kind you of You're going to win one so you can go, right? I, I just want them to win one so I can watch them on that Tuesday uh, while I'm in New York. But I, 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 mean, I think it's going to because both coaches are really good. Sandy will adjust. And mm-hmm. if she goes back to the first quarter a first half of the the game that they played on Sunday, um, she had Becky and her team on the ropes for a while. Yeah, and it yeah, wasn't okay. it wasn't until the fourth quarter where things kind of that's when Vegas was able to pull away. And it's about adjustments, and you'll you'll see it. You'll see that I think they'll they'll win one. I think they'll be able to win one. But overall, I Vegas feel like with Vegas's injuries, that New York's a little deeper. Um, but I just you know it. 
Asia Wilson is a problem. Like she's 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 a, she's a host onto herself, right? She's a problem all by herself. But those guards, man, Jackie and Kelsey and Chelsea, like those guards, those guards are monsters. Yeah, so you know they are, and and then they just they have they have the bodies to throw at Brianna Stewart and really be physical and just mm-hmm. like she's gonna have to have a couple really great jump shooting games for New York to win and not a great jump shooting quarter or a half, but she's right. going to have one, a couple okay. of games where mm-hmm. for four quarters, she's knocking down shots. Um, because yeah, that, 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 that Vegas scene, boy, Becky went and built her a juggernaut immediately. Right. And that's without Candace. <laughs> I know, right. That's like this would be a conversation if Candace was healthy. Then what? it'd be like sweep. <laughs> yeah, I was like, never mind, no game for them. right, you know, right. I, I, I saw both teams. Yeah, I saw New York and I saw uh, Vegas here in Minnesota. That, that's that's uh-huh. all I'm against. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, you're gonna have to catch an earlier flight this day if you want to. If they had Candace, <laughs> you still. But right. but um, uh, so so I want to segue a little bit um to the Timberwolves um. Are you a fan? Um, and if so, how long have you been a fan of the Timberwolves? So when the Timberwolves first became a team, I was out of town. Either I was in college or I was in L.A., depending okay. on what year they started. But I think it was like come, 86 or 87, something like that. Well, then maybe, but I— I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Lloyd, look it up. I don't even remember. I'm old now. I don't remember. Okay. So is that when they had— 89, I think. 89. Okay. So that had one year before I went off to college. Um, and he's going to read this for sure. He's going to look. Okay. Okay. But I do, um, you know, if KG was here, I, I watched and I felt bad for that brother because he gave us all those years and we weren't able to do much with it except when they played the Lakers and they ended up losing that series. But, um, injuries. See, injuries are always the big one. Yeah. Yeah. When that series, if they're healthy, I oh, truly, you, yes. Yes, everybody's Damn, hurt. Snell was hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I am. I I do love Cat, and then you know Anthony Edwards to be able to watch him, especially now, you know, seeing him playing FIBA. Like this dude came out and just was like, okay, the, but are they going to be able to build on what they have, what they had last year? Even that's what you said, in- injuries. You know, Ant was out. You know, three fourths, and then like you said, they had two or three players in the playoffs. One dude was. Cause he hit a wall, like yeah, Jaden, yeah, Jaden, <laughs> wall. Talking about, talking about. I thought there was padded behind there. Like, bro, you go into that tunnel forty-one yeah. times a year. <laughs> Although I can, I can understand. You know, there's a curtain in front of the wall, and you sure. know, like, but you know, again, as a father of five daughters, us men have to get over this idea that the way to express ourselves is to punch something. Yeah. No, we very rarely do you see a woman walking around with a cast on her wrist <laughs> because she didn't punch the wall. It's just I'm just saying very rare that you I can't really think of any time I'm like, hey little baby, what happened to you? Well, I punched the wall because I was mad. But I didn't co I didn't taught and coached a lot of boys right. and right. they signatures on their arm because they got mad and punched the wall. It's like right. right. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> Continue. Um yeah, I, I, you know, I always want to be able to support my home team. And it's just hard. You get behind the Timberwolves, you get behind the, the Vikings and the Twins, and then somehow they just break your heart. 
You know, like, like here's a true story. I was preparing you for relationship life. I, I have cried more over my Minnesota teams losing than I have ever dating some dude that said he didn't want to go back out with me. <laughs> I'm like, and the uh, Vikings lost to New Orleans, okay? And what's your point? <laughs> they got beat down by 44 points to New York, okay? <laughs> Oh, we don't talk about and go, yeah, there. and then they go to Philadelphia and act like they're freaking Washburn High School. Like, and one, you don't want to go up and be no more, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard for me to do, to get behind them because I'm so they disappoint you, but you want it because they're your home team and you want to be able to stand with them. You know, um, I just think Minnesota has a way of just being okay with mediocrity. Like mm-hmm. any of our teams that we talked about tonight or whenever. And you go out to Boston, their thing is if we make it to the playoffs, we're going to the championship. Right. We'll be excited if the because the Twins won the first round and then they won a game. And we'll be like, well, they, they haven't won in since 2000. And... Okay. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, look. What, what, who was the comedian that said, uh, was, was, it, was it Chris Rock that said, you know, if you starving, if somebody if somebody give you a cracker, you got you. What is this on red? <laughs> I know, but I'm an athlete. Like That's Minnesota sports, fan. it is. And I'm like, how are you okay with this? You know, you look at the wild. Like, so our only championship since you know is a twin since 2000. Like, like ninety one. Ninety one. Look here, the Lynx. Are the only team that's won a championship around town here in forever, right? And they won four, but yeah, the Twins was ninety one and eighty seven. Like we gotta go way back. And we get there, Chuck. and we just so I no, I honestly, I every year I get on board. I'm like, we're gonna, this is our year. We're gonna do this. We bring in all these players. We gave up everything to get Rudy, and then we're like, oh, did this really work? And then you're like, oh, there was some, there were some good things that they did, and then like you said, injuries happen, and now you're like, okay, now we're starting to get. We're two. We're two and zero oh in 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 the preseason. You know they played Dallas two times. Okay, you saw some talent out there. What now? What are we going to do? So I'm I'm excited to see. You know, um, coach. I think his biggest thing is how do you make Edwards, Rudy, and Cat work? See to me. So so the way I look at it like this, and and you play guard, um, and so. I, I think that guards always have higher expectations for bigs because they're not big. <laughs> <laughs> we just we like, dude, you're supposed to dunk everything. Right, 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 right. I wish I was seven for one. Let me right. show you what I would do, right? That's always a good and, and because most human beings <laughs> walking are not seven feet tall. Right, you're right. You get this unrealistic idea of what it would be like if we were seven feet tall. First off, ninety nine percent of people in the world that are seven feet tall are uncoordinated and discombobulated and can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> right. right. Um, but also you know as a guard how difficult it is to engage centers, how difficult it is to, you know, you have to be so precise with bigs, with centers, right? You got to get them the ball a certain way. And what they're learning about Rudy is like, if you, if you try to get him the ball like this, it's not going to work out well. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to get it to him a certain way. And then when you take two guys that are used to playing the same position that are that big and put them on the floor, even though I've always said cats a tweener, I think it's way more difficult 
for two centers or two, you know, post players or bigs, whatever you want to call them, to develop symmetry um, in a team construct than it is for like you saw in Cleveland with uh, Donovan Mitchell and um, and Garland, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because guards have the ball all the time. Right, right. When you're a big, you're always relying on someone else to get you the ball. And so you you only look as good as your guards can make you look when you're a big. And then every rebound you don't get, everybody's criticizing you because, like, you're seven feet tall. You're right by the rim. You're supposed to get the ball all the time, right? Right. Every time somebody scores, you're supposed to block everything. I just don't think people really understand how hard it is to play basketball and be seven feet tall. Um, Having said that, that to me makes continuity and um, familiarity that much more important. You know, you and I, we, we, you know, I played all over the floor, but basically I'm a, I'm a guard wing. We could go, well, when we were younger, we could go play pickup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like you referencing when we were younger. <laughs> you know, you and I could meet at the park and we could my turn and your turn and, you know, could, you, you cut off each other. That's easy work, right? Guard mm-hmm. to playing with, with, with each other right, like that. And I just think that the lack of patience that comes with, the basketball ignorance of normal height people that they showed with the Wolves last year was really unfair. I think not only is it going to work, but I think it's going to work on on a massive scale. I I think that expecting, well, one cat was hurt for 55 games. So that's, but expecting two big players to just seamlessly work out is only expectations that come from people who never really played basketball and who never really played post positions, right? I had the luxury of playing like center my junior year in high school and then playing two guard my senior year in high school. And in college, I played two through four, right? So sometimes I was, believe it or not, posting up. And other times I was, you know, running the wing. Sometimes I even played point guard in a big lineup. So um, I think I have a different understanding, even within how I coach of, knowing each position from having played it. Most of the people writing and most of the people critiquing the Rudy and Cat thing have never played power forward or center, Mm -hmm. let alone be 6'11 or 7 feet. But then you get somebody like Kendrick Perkins. He was the only one that was like, this going to work and they going to fall out. Well, why would Kendrick Perkins think that? Because he's 6'11. Right. And he's, you know, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see. By the way, 1989 was when the Timberwolves made okay. their debut. So okay. I, I, thought, I thought you might have still been around. I only had the one year. That's what I'm saying. When they first started, I mean, because I remember their uniforms and it was all good. But before I had the one year with the rest of it, most of that, I was for eight straight years. I was out of the state or even out of the area. You know what I mean? Like. St. Cloud, I wasn't watching them. And then I went up to International Falls. They have TV in International Falls? Yeah, but yeah, we were, I was taking, I was trying to do my own thing. You know what I mean? I kept an eye, but I wasn't a big fan. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. it wasn't because, you know what? And one of the reasons was I was a Laker fan. So I grew up watching Magic and Kareem. Right. So well, my like folks. The rest of us. Right. So <laughs> then, you know, here was this new team from Minnesota. It's great. It's a Minnesota team. But then I still had the Lakers in Boston. You know what I mean? So that was where my focus was. Um, but here's a question I want to ask you about the yeah. Timberwolves. Yeah. What do you think about, because we have, have changed the game from being post players being in the post mm-hmm. to now six foot, six, eight people being behind the three point line. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinking that they can be a three point shooter, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if you're, because in my mind, I'm like you're a six four, six nine player. I want you in the post. 
I don't need you right next to me at the top of the key yap- yapping up, you know, three-pointers all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where people see the game as far as for, for all the players. If you don't, if you, you know, that mid-range game, I don't, where is that at? Because everybody either wants to, you know, everybody wants to shoot three-pointers now. Yeah. Well, I, I well, one, um, I'm the nerds have messed up the game. The analytics people, um, have messed up the game. Although I wish they were around when I was in college. Cause I remember one time I went four for 10 from three and got cussed out in the film <laughs> session <laughs> for real. Like the 40%. That's good. Right. Right. I, right. 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 You know, I got yelled at for going four for 10, but, um, but, uh, well, I, here's the thing. Uh, and I think Chris Finch said it best. Where the game is going is in the direction of skilled bigs. Mm-hmm. I also blame officiating. Mm-hmm. Officiating has ruined low post play because that's why you see nowadays so many, you know, six four, six three guards switching onto six eleven players in the post because the officials let them guards beat the hell out them dudes. Mm-hmm. Those were fouls when we came up right. playing. Right. You couldn't, you know, and I blame Chris Paul for that because Chris Paul was the president of the Players Association and buddy buddy with the officials. And there was a couple of years when Rudy was in Utah and Chris Paul was with the Clippers and Chris Paul gets switched on to Rudy and he just be hacking the hell out that man. And everybody's like, oh, Rudy Gobert sucks. He can't even post up Chris Paul. Again, you've never been seven feet tall. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. Right. And then Chris Paul is just hacking the hell out of him and the ref is just watching it. And that set a precedent. And so now, even with Carl Anthony Towns, it's like, yes, he has to get lower in the post. And yes, he has to play with more leverage down there. But the reality is he gets so many offensive fouls because he's been fouled seven times before he gets called by somebody six foot five. Right, right. You know, and the official doesn't call it. And then he gets the ball and then he makes a move and clips somebody with an elbow because you're at elbow height when you're six five guarding somebody six, eleven, seven feet tall. And then it's an offensive foul. You know, but so I think as much as shooting and, you know, Carl Anthony Towns called a lot of flack for saying, you know, he changed the game being a a center, true center out there shooting threes. And that might be true to a case. And nobody changed the game recently as much as Steph Curry. Right. You know, but I think more than that, the way the officials now call the play below the foul line has changed the game. And if I was, and it's even translated to the high school level, we had a kid, Jaden Woolmouth, over at Richfield where I coached, and they couldn't do nothing with Jaden. Jaden was, he was only about 6'6", but Jaden was just, he was 6'6 and about 230 mm. and, and had good feet and good hands, and teams would just beat on him. I mean, he got the Shaq treatment. Mm. You know? And there was times where officials would literally tell us at halftime, like, you know, he's got to be able to finish through that. What the fuck are you talking about, man? This is your job is to officiate files, not officiate this high school kid. He's not Shaq. This kid is 16, 17 years old, and you want him to play through three people grabbing on his arms, and you're not going to call foul. You know, so I can't blame tall players. I don't even call them bigs anymore because now they're just tall. I can't blame <laughs> players, right? Yeah. Big play with their back to the basket, right? Mm-hmm. I can't blame tall players for not wanting to take that abuse and working on their three-point shot and going out there and shooting three-point shots. If you want to bring the post play back into the game, start calling fouls on six foot three, six foot four, six foot six guards that switch on to six foot eleven, seven feet post 
and stop them by hacking the hell out of them. If you start calling the game the way it's supposed to be called, you will bring low post play back into the game. That's my feeling on that. You know, and Carl Anthony Towns is, he's, you know, he's different in, in, in that sense. And the fact that, you know, not only can he shoot from out there, but he can put it on the floor, you know, and he gets to where he wants to, wants to go from out there. And you're seeing more and more tall players and you're going to see more and more of it. Like there's not going to be a lot of room for guys under six foot three anymore. You know, guys, my height, you know, I, there, there's not going to be any of us left because point guards are going to be six foot eight. And it's just gonna be, you know, Victor Webb and Yama, you know, next four, right? Yeah. So you know, he's seven five out there crossing people over, stepping back, like you know, where you know they're gonna have to create a six foot five and under league again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so so us mere slightly above average mortals can play basketball. Yeah, right. You know, so yeah, that's that's where I think it's going. I just. It is what it is. People are like, oh, I can't soft. But if you, only people who say that have never played post, like they've never been, you know, they've never had or they played in an era like they're 50, like me, you know, where those were fouls when those guys did the things to you that they get away with doing the cat now. So it's like, oh, he's soft. He need to get down there and post up, bro. If you had to take the abuse that he takes without getting called for a foul, you wouldn't go down there. Neither. Right. Right. You know, so. I blame the officials. I know it's probably a, uh, uncommon take. I don't know. I haven't heard many people talk about it like that, but I played four positions. And so I know what it's like to have a mouse in the house and, and I know what files are and what they're not. So we have talked for a long time. This oh, might wow. be the longest show in the history of the coach in the culture podcast. Well, this is what happens when ever. Right. But, but I mean, this is 2030. 35 years of friendship and we kind of come from the same pie right so right you know depending on whatever you want to talk about we've both experienced it especially when you talk about sports and where it's gone we've seen is we're not talking to a 20 year old like oh i know it's twitter and you know swipe <laughs> to the right or to the left hey i might have some 20 year old listeners so uh... <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying you're not gonna get an hour and a half or two hour show with somebody because they don't have the experience man right you know I mean? absolutely. Um, absolutely not to say anything about the 20 year olds hey y'all have taught me a lot and i appreciate y'all but y'all don't know nothing yet <laughs> i know and we both work with kids we could do a whole non-sports related episode on the state of public education right we, yeah, <laughs> that, that that that'll be for Lloyd's show. Lloyd has his own podcast. You might have to bring me and Onika on to talk about social justice and public education. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, having said that, though, I am going to let you go um, once again for our listeners. Um, you are tuned into the Coach in the Culture podcast, and I have been chopping it up for the last while, wow, over an hour and a half with my good friend, Onika Craven, um, where can people find you? Because you do so many things. You do photography. You, you, I know you still probably do some acting. I know that's just just in your blood a little bit. And 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 you, and, and you do media work. Um, you have Onika's Angels. Talk just real quick before we go. Talk a little bit about Onika's Angels. Yeah. So Onika, you talk about justice, right? Um, yeah. Onika's Angels started in two thousand, like two days after George Floyd was killed. Um, and they had birthed up all of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And I thought about the Cub Foods and the Target in our, on both Minneapolis and Southside. 
And growing up in those areas, I thought about the people like we don't have a lot of cars. We don't have a lot of places because it's like an island out there. There's not, you know, you go one block, there's a target here. You go a couple more there, but it wasn't. So I just kind of thought, what would I want from the people in our community and what would they need? And so I used my money um, and my friends, I had four friends that came with me and we bought a lot of essentials. And so that's kind of how it started. We Mm -hmm. went to churches and individuals, homes and community centers and bought foods like that. And as we've expanded over the years, we've given out scholarships to kids in Minneapolis to further their education. We give um, gifts for Christmas and we do Thanksgiving and Easter baskets and turkeys and stuff. Um, it's just a way of if there's a need in our community, uh, we want to be able to help people. And basically that's it. And so we give out financial support for people. So if you want to get a hold of us, it's Onika. Um, onikasangels.org um, to get a hold of me personally. Um, Facebook, I'm on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter, and it's uh, Purple Rain, R E I G N, uh, Purple 612 Rain. Um, and so if you guys have any questions or if you know of anybody that needs support, please reach out to us at Onika's Angels. Or if you want to be someone who wants to support uh, a nonprofit that's helping people in the community, please reach out to me. Um, we just want to be able to make sure that. You know, we want to make sure that every person in our community doesn't have a need. That is beautiful. And Onika is O-N-I-K-A for right. for the listeners out there. Yeah. And purple, 612 rain. R-E-I-G-N. Right. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, I can't thank you enough for making time to come on to the show. I'm so glad that I finally got a chance to talk with you on the Coach in the Culture podcast. Um, I would love to have you again as a guest. Um, it, it might be a while. Maybe we'll wait until some, some preseason, uh, links talk and, you know, kind of wait till after the NBA season, get into next summer. God willing, we going to be in our fifties and, you know, make it through another hellish Minnesota winter and then get all excited. Maybe may, actually let's talk, um, uh, let's talk right before the WNBA draft. Hey. And, and talk it. a little bit about the college players that I have declared. With it'll be interesting to see if Caitlin Clark declares, if Paige declares, right? Because they don't have to, and with the right. NIL deals, they might be making more money staying in school. So right, right. let's talk a little bit of WNBA draft right before the season uh, starts up again. Hey, uh, whenever you got, you need me, man. Um, I won't take as long this time. I promise you. <laughs> uh, thank you for thank you for coming on. Um, for our listeners, our next podcast, um, we're going to try to up the frequency as the season draws near. And our next podcast, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, player evaluations that probably just go through uh, the link or the link. See, we all, I'm all links now. <laughs> go through the Timberwolves top 10 uh, in their rotation and then have our preseason predictions and get ready for the regular season opener at Toronto. So uh, again, thank you, Onika. We got the super producer, Lloyd Leon Coop. We must have really been talking good stuff because he didn't snore not one time <laughs> during the podcast. I saw his eyes open. Either he got paid or we were real interesting one of the (laughs) no thank Uh, you thank you so much for having me and uh you know uh coop whenever you need me to come on man to talk about the schools and our children please just reach out i got you thanks we enjoy uh, onika craven super producer lloyd leon coop i am coach frank you've been tuned in to the coach and the culture podcast peace 